0: But one of the things I always told him is that I loved about sports is that you can't buy success. There is is no amount of money that can make Jerry Jones, you know, kid an NFL player. He's got to earn it, right? And if it was, people would be buying their Olympic spots or they'd be buying their NFL quarterback spots. So what I love about sports is rich, poor, or in the middle, you're going to earn it. The, uh, but no, you sound really good. You look good. And um, if you sold $2 million, that was a hell of an income you made, right? I made
1: 350 on the 1099 so yeah. last year. It was, it was good. 22 years old. It was good. We have a decent residual percentage. So I was getting about 2% off of all of the business sold underneath me as well in a residual form. And since we sell whole life, which some people are opinionated on, it's, you know, I'm, I, I'm always very transparent with people. That's how I was able to sell very well myself. I'm like, you know, if I wouldn't put more than $300, a month into a whole life, I feel like if you're starting to move around with that much money to, uh, to put into your insurance, you should start to invest into different products, you know, term and uh, the index universal investment products, certain things like that. But I've always been very honest with clients that I do meet that are over that six figure mark that want to put $500 plus into it. But I've met individuals that are, uh, well, who do they listen to? The spiritual guy, and he preaches terms so hard. One of my biggest rebuttals: uh, Al Williams. He's one of them. Williams. He's one of them. But there's an there's another guy. I actually read one of his books to try to help me with the rebuttals. Um, he's a nice guy. Good spiritual stuff. I like. I'll have to look it up. But um, but yeah, that's that's kind of my that's kind of the gist of everything with with me. And it took me a while to realize when I thought for the longest time you did life insurance and. My my dad a long time ago had given me fifty five steps outrageous service, and I read I read the back I never I just I just officially I I when, when we scheduled the podcast I ripped through, yeah. I ripped through this book so quickly and then you have a list of books in here as well and I've I was calculating how many books I've read over the last four or five years and it's like right under two hundred fifty and that's probably where I sound a little little smarter than than what I used to um, but. All these books on here I haven't read, some of the Zig Ziglar books, and I'm huge on Zig Ziglar, John Maxwell. I've been to two John Maxwell events uh, in the last two years, and those have been incredible. That's where I've gained some of probably the most value out of all the books I've read has been the John Maxwell.
0: How's your love life?
1: My love life, I actually just got out of a serious relationship, a two-year relationship um, that I just got out of, but learned a lot. And really right now I'm pretty reserved. I'm not like out out on the prowl. Pretty focused on, on business and myself, so.
0: Well, good. You're not ready to get married anyway. Yeah, yeah no. But the honeys will be after you if you, if you keep this up. Well, and that's, that's
1: one of the things. My, my partner's been in the insurance agency or the insurance industry for 16, almost going on 17 years now. So he's he's 38, and he started at 22, has a degree. He played D1AA. A. I want to say football at Mercyhurst University in Erie, Pennsylvania. He's from Youngstown, mm-hmm. Ohio. He grew up with Maurice Claret. He's really close with Jim Trussell. So I've got to meet Jim Trussell a handful of times and kind of get some one-on-one development and coaching from from him. He actually connected, you know, my 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 partner. I just call him CEO because he's, he's like you. He's the big insurance poncho. You know what I mean? And uh, he's plugged in with, with all these guys, Ryan Chazier, and, and just kind of that sports sports background. But he's been doing this for – 16, 17 years. And he's really the reason why I'm, I have so much success because I just took everything he said and I just did it. And I did it with that Southern mentality. I can remember, you know, wrestling practices that, that you would hold. And I just remember everybody being being just zoned in. Even at a young age, we were just zoned in. We worked hard and there was a lot of belief. There was a lot of passion. And that's, I just, I took that and brought it, brought it up here. I did try to wrestle my eighth grade year and the head tosses did not work in Western Pennsylvania.
0: <laughs> but you know you, were, um, yeah, Pennsylvania is really good wrestling. You were really, really good at your age. Um, you might have had, you know, more talent than Lane. And I, I just remember you was having unbelievable talent early. Yeah. But part of that, you're tough from boxing. Yes. Um, did, did, are you familiar with where Lane is these days? I followed. I just followed him. He's in Arkansas State. Yeah, so he he's played three years at Arkansas State. And he, it's been a good career, but it's been a little crazy. You know, we had – first year he won a bowl and was MVP of the bowl as a I freshman. Was watching,
1: I was watching the game. I was watching that game.
0: And then he came back the next year and they rotated the quarterbacks during the COVID year, even though he had the better year. And then last year that coach left and we got a new coach – And he promised to transfer the starting job, even though Lane led the entire conference in passer rating and stuff like that. Lane ended up getting the job back. But this was a Florida State transfer. But he just – he told Lane he was bringing him in as a backup, but he would already promised the job because Lane beat him out every day in practice. But he ended up starting, say, eight of the 12 games last year. But he's transferred to Texas State, and he'll – that coach has coached 10 NFL quarterbacks. So, following this year at uh, State, he ended up being a four time high school state champion in wrestling. So, wow. had you uh, used the Bluebirds, you would have been too. So, um, I always think about that. Yeah. Um, but you're going to make up for it in business. So, what? Uh, very impressive. Well, just hit me with what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of things I, well, I was blown away
1: from i remember reflecting and i i was honestly really surprised that that you had responded to me um just because i knew how successful i didn't necessarily i guess i didn't know the complete depth of how successful you were as a kid but as i when i was a kid and growing up and being with the bluebirds and everything like that but i didn't know it was insurance and and when i started to put two and two together as i was getting older and it was almost kind of like a rich dad poor dad you know what i mean almost and but like a different version, you know, for for me, like a, like, you know, just just kind of the putting two and two together and seeing the legitimacy of of your hard work and and just everything that you put together. And I read the story. I went to your company and read the summary of how you started out with a five hundred or a thousand square foot building. But as I'm reading through everything, it didn't really like. Where was the transition from college into insurance? You went. Did you get your life and health and just. How did you How did you start off as you know a sales rep and build up into your insurance industry that you're
0: you're an owner now? So you know, yeah. So when I was in college, I was a three sport athlete. I played soccer, wrestling, baseball, and I was the kind of guy that was the hardest worker on every team. Yep. You know, the captain of the team or a leader, but not necessarily the best player. Yep. Uh, Cause, you know there were some guys that were always better you know I never was intimidated by them or anything like that. I, I thought I could do it. I just thought they had more experience or better youth preparation and so I caught a lot of people and passed them in college. When I got out of college um, you know I was like everybody else I wanted to I wanted to keep playing or be a pro athlete or do something but um, I got a job. I got, I interviewed for all these jobs and I got a job selling computers and I was the first employee hired. So literally it was a company where I was the only employee and that there were three investors that were going to start a computer company. and We sold Epson and K-Pro computers and I didn't know I was a salesman. You know, you don't really know you're a natural salesman and tell you are. And you're a natural salesman. I can tell by looking at you, but you may not have known it. You kind of learned it at the dinner table from the gift to gab. Maybe your parents had, et cetera. My dad was a college president and was a very good communicator. But for me, I think it was the combination of sports competitiveness with good communication skills. So I go to work for this computer company and we go to um, downtown to Little Rock State House Convention Center, and they were having a computer, um, oh, what's a convention there? And they had you know hundreds of computer companies there, and I I had a booth, and there was another company in town that sold Epson and K Pro computers, and they they been in business for a while. They had you know ten or twelve employees, and I had one, <laughs> and so we were in direct competition at that booth. You know, like they go to their booth and they go to my booth. They'd have three much older people. You'd have a 22-year-old kid like you sitting at the booth. And I didn't know I was a salesman, but at the end of that convention, I sold 10 times more computers than they did. They would come to their booth and my booth and they keep buying from my booth. And the reason why was I would tell the people that I, if they bought a computer for me, I'd deliver it to their house. I'd set it up and I'd train them how to use it. And nobody's going to do that, you know, when you're buying a computer, but sold a bunch. And my three bosses that were the investors said, son, you can sell. Did you know you could sell? And I was like, I really did. not so I worked there for six months. I was on a 33% commission or whatever I sold. And back in 1984, I was making four or 5000 a month, which would be like making... 200,000 you know right out of college you know you you just said you did more than that which is amazing but it was at least that and but I didn't like it I missed the sports and I went to Notre Dame after that and I coached baseball and I coached a semi pro team and I was going to get I was actually a player coach and I was going to get my masters and then I realized that it wasn't that I didn't like the work in Arkansas or the people. It was just the reality that I was no longer on my sports teams forever. And so blue cross blue shield called me and gave me a job as a blue cross sales rep. And that's where I got into the insurance business. And back then in 1984, they paid a $45,000 salary with a company car. And I made, I made 90 grand my first year. Um, and was Blue Cross's top salesman and then was for seven straight years. And after those seven years, I just realized I wanted to have all the options. I wanted to be able to have every carrier um, and be able to have the right fit for every solution. So I started my own agency when I was 28 and it wasn't to make more money. It was to be able to win every time. In 1989, Blue Cross averaged a 50% rate increase, and in the when I started my agency where I could always, if somebody gave them an increase, I could go somewhere else, and we grew so fast because we answered the phone 24 hours a day. We answered it in three rings. We gave now. outrageous Yeah, all the things you read about in the book, and by the end of the first year, I had seven employees, and we were the top producing health agency in Arkansas, and then just kept doing it. I always tell people insurance is the best business because it's like it's like having a plate in front of you and you put one pancake on it. An insurance sale is like a pancake. Once you throw the pancake on the plate, it's going to pay you a commission for as long as you protect that pancake. Don't let the wolves come eat it. Don't let somebody steal your pancake. And then you can put a second one on and a third one. You can stack those pancakes 40 stories high and the, the higher you stack them, the more commissions you make. But you have to build a fence around your pancakes and not let anybody eat them, not let those competitors take them from you. So that's really what I've been doing. It gets harder as you get more successful because now you have to deal with employees. And employees are much harder than customers. Um, you know, get them motivated, get them to do what they're supposed to do, you know, keep them happy. Um, they're not going to think like you all the time. So those are the real challenges of running a bigger agency. And that's one of the things that burned me the most. The last two years have
1: been my biggest acceleration in leadership. And it's trying to balance my individual desire to win and per, I guess almost portraying and um, kind of really almost being too, my leadership style. I, I noticed as I reflect over the last two years where I lost the most was being too aggressive and trying to force people to want to win because for me stepping into ownership or any promotion uh for for my experience with the insurance industry it's it's been quick but but it's never been about the money i grew you know once both my parents were away it, you know we, we had a little bit of money and then we had a way when it was my mom you know it was food bank lines and lights off and no food and just drink water and you know what i mean and that was the solution to everything and it's like now it's a you know, there's more than enough money. You know what I mean? So, but like my desire to win, which I feel like I got to give so much kudos to, to my dad and to, to, to being a part of the Bluebirds program. Cause those, those years when I was down there from, it was like eight to 10 when my mom was away. It, I mean, it was a sport every day. Like every time we were doing something, whether it was baseball, it was football, it was wrestling, it was boxing. And it was just beating into my head of just the process and winning and just it, I think that that's probably the number one reason why, why I've had, you know, some success now, you know, late, later on now in, in, in my life and in this industry. But I think that's probably the biggest thing that bit me. Did did that affect you at all? Cause that's where I got it from. You know what I mean? From, from your, from your programs and your coaching of having that desire to, to win. You know what I mean? And I, I felt it through the, like when I was reading this book, it was almost like not reading the book. It was like, I was like rewatching like a movie of like seeing you on, on the sidelines and like, even if we were playing you and just watching how passionate you were with, with Lane and and with your kids and all of them successful to to my knowledge, you know what I mean? So, you know, how did you balance that business?
0: Well, when, when we get done with this, be sure to send me an email and I'll send you the book between the ears, how to think like a champion, which is the, I wrote and it's about all the sports stuff out at Bluebird. So I think you'll enjoy that. But as I'm watching you, I think you're going to be really successful for a few reasons. Number one, your dad did have good people skills and the gift of gab. He just, he never really did it with me. But, you know, when you said I, I sell a lot of insurance because I'm transparent and I don't try to overdo it, some people just take that fork in the road and they go the wrong way when. And they think they're going to do better that way instead of just being straight. And you can love with that. You know, we got to forgive him for that. Okay. You know, somehow, some way, somebody didn't help him see that. Or maybe, you know, when I think of him, it's like when I heard the things that occurred, I'm like, he was just trying to be too much, too quick. And, you know, I don't know who he was trying to impress or where that insecurity came to do that, but somehow it was coming. Maybe it was trying to live up to other relatives or to a father or whatever it might be. But, um, you now have an inner desire, whether you realize it or not from growing up broke, growing up without the lights or without the food to make sure that doesn't happen. And that inner burning fire when someone has it, it's really a huge advantage, and it's hard to ever—you can't just give it to somebody. We generally get it from growing up, and something didn't go right. So when you read, I think it's chapter six in Between the Ears. You'll you'll read about my only real failure that just haunted me, and that failure made me never want to make it close again. You know, so is that the wrestling match? I play- no, it was um, so. I played three sports in college. You know, I was a four-year starter in wrestling, a three-year in soccer, but in baseball, I never really got to be a regular starter. And I, I was definitely good enough. Our team was really, really good, um, and it was just kind of unfortunate. It just so happened that the people that were ahead of me were also good. Maybe they were a year older. You know, they got the job, and they didn't. They didn't. Piss it away. And then I pressed and pressed and pressed to try to get in. And baseball is not a sport that you can press in. If you press, you may try too hard and you'll strike out more, you'll make more errors. You know, I got my one opportunity and kind of blew it. Um, But one of the things I learned from that is that there was that hunger to get in there. I almost transferred um, to play elsewhere, but I didn't which was, I guess, a good thing that I didn't quit. I just kept battling. It made me better. It made me so much better and where I'm at today than if it would have all worked out well, because everything I did ever since, while I was struggling and climbing to try to get in that lineup and working out extra hours after practice, and I was developing habits of freaking never quitting, of being, you know, having great frustration tolerance, of not throwing a fit, of getting better every day, things that by the time I graduated, they gave me the most improved player as a senior. Nobody gives a senior most improved player, but I was improving all along the way. And when they finally let me go and I was out of college, I had a work ethic beyond anybody that graduated from school. And I had a desire to win. And so when I started winning as a top insurance salesman, I wanted to win again and I never let up. And today I don't need to, I don't need any more accolades or any more money, but I still go at the same speed because it's a habit. You really can't, I'm a machine now. And so you, you know, the only thing you've got to balance is, you know, when you, when you get to the top, is it going to change you? Is it going to, is it gonna make you an arrogant SOB? Is it gonna make you not be nice to other people? Is it gonna make you stop working? Is it, you know, I don't think any of those things got to me because I made a promise right then when I got out of college that if I ever made it, I'd give I'd give ten percent back minimum right then. And so I do not just to the church or whatever, but to that's why Bluebirds is there. There's a whole lot of other things I've done philanthropically that make a difference. And I get just as excited about those as other things. Um, And I love our business in that the harder we work, the more money If you want a new car, go sell three more policies. If you want a bigger house, go sell that. If you want to donate to your high school or college, go sell more. Um, But there'll come a day where you're just so good at it. And you're doing people right that you won't even have to make sales calls. They'll just call you. You're the insurance guy. And that's really kind of where I'm at is I I I have a to-do list right now that I couldn't complete in a month if, if I had nothing else added to it. You know, it's just I just have so much stuff in the hopper. I'm just trying to, you know, click them off. So, um, you know, I would tell anybody – I have, I have more to do lists than anybody, you know, a personal one, a business one, a a goals one, things that I want to really accomplish. Um, I have a top 10, the 10 things I want to get done this year. So, um, the nice thing is you're, you're really good at this. Now you're able to leverage it. Leveraging means that you have other people working for you so you can make money on your own sales and off of their sales too. So that's the, that's the next step.
1: Yes, sir. So much fire in there. I like the spiritual aspect of things as well. When when my partner now, you know, I see Simon, when he took me, you know, under his wing, I was three months in and kind of like coaching. You know what I mean? You're not really just befriending all the players. I feel like especially as you get older, it's the ones that are getting results that are showing up and at least showing great attitude and effort. And so it's my third or fourth month in and I'm 19 and I did about 30,000. And so he pulled me aside. We started to do one-on-ones and he told me, the, the most important aspect of business and the, mo- the best investment you can make is into yourself. And ever since then, I've, I've sent him a proverb every morning. So every date. So today is the 14th. I read Proverbs 14, pick a few things out, highlight, send it back. And the 10% giving back, donating. Um, and this isn't, you know, to, to gloat or anything like that, but I'm really picking out for the individuals that come into, you know, my business or anybody from your network that listens to it and, I know what made me successful because I'm not the brightest. It, it's It's been just copying and pasting what, what the individual that has what I want, whatever they're doing, copying and pasting that. And he's like, the best investment you can make is into yourself. So you mentioned, I imagine you, you work out. I remember you, you were wrestling up until a point, because I came down at 15 or 16 to try to re-talk to my dad. And uh, you were still wrestling. You were still on the mats. You were you were still down. Was it is it Pat Smith? Is that it? Yes,
0: Pat Smith. He still coached down there? He does. So yeah. I, I remember you on and the bats. Yeah, his two boys are really good wrestlers. I could beat Lane up about until By the time he was an eighth grader, he could beat the high school state champs. I might be able to go with him for a minute, but after that, I, you know, yeah. I, he just much but um you have something that all five of my kids don't have Lane would be the closest his the jury's still out on him because we have to let him get out of college and see how much passion he's got but he is the hardest working football player on every team he's ever played every coach will tell you that so he's got that work ethic which I think I got mine in sports too but you have a burning desire and that you know The fact that you've read books, I try to get my staff to read the newspaper every day because they have to know the world. They just won't do it. I mean, and the younger they are, the more they won't do it. So, you know, I got up today, I did my workout with my trainer. I went and rode the bike for 30 minutes and I, I had my iPad out and I read the paper and I know what's going on, you know, each day, which provides knowledge. All those books you're reading makes you You know, intelligent knowing what's going on in the world makes a difference. And when you, as you start selling more sophisticated sales, that'll make a difference. And you have to, um, you'll be the same person today, 20 years from now, except for the books you read and the people you meet. That was a direct quote from that book that you read. And so that's why there's a chapter called Read a Book a Month and Sharpening the Saw. My daughter's license plate says G-B-E-D, okay, which stands for Get Better Every Day. So I want her every time she gets in the car to see that. Lane's license plate says A-B-A-G-K, which stands for Always Be a Good Kid, because I knew he was going to be successful. By the time he was old enough to drive, I knew he was going to be off the charts. The question is, could he maintain it and do the right things or was he going to get DWIs and get in battles and do drugs and stuff like that? So I wanted him to have to think about it every day, you know, that that's going to be what what's really important. So um, you're sitting there reading the Bible. You're you're getting your motivation every day. Zig Ziglar says motivation's not permanent and neither is bathing. You better take. It every day. That's right. So um, I think you're on the right track. What you can do now is you'll build your life insurance business. Then you need to start getting into the employee benefits and then add property and casualty and be the complete insurance source. That's one way to do it. Or do what you're doing instead of having 75 producers have 300 and then have 500 and then have 1,000, which actually may be the better ticket, be really, really good at that You know, one thing. So, and you're you're exempt from all government regulation if you stay in the life insurance. You don't have to worry about national health care, yes sir. That kind of mess. And if you go on vacation, nobody's calling you screaming about their medical insurance. They don't care about life insurance. There's only one claim. Yes sir. And when calling to complain about it. Yes sir. (laughs) Now.
1: I'm, this is this is something that I love. I call it affirmations, kind of like the positively, like I start every day off kind of affirming positivity and gratitude over myself. And then my daily list, I got a vision board. I got inspired from a book. Um, I think more or less kind of Think and Grow Rich kind of inspired me to put together a vision board and, and my, my mentor. Uh, I try to inspire others to do that as well. It sounds like you do all of these things. So I hope the people that are listening, you, especially younger individuals, you know, it's it's real easy to, to look at look at success and, and look at money. And when, when I look at individuals like like you, Mr. Hatcher, and somebody I aspire to be, be like one day, it's like I feel like it's like walking in the gym and like somebody looking at Lane and saying, well, you know, I want to be a four-time state, you know, high school wrestling champ. But do you want to put in all the work? You know what I mean? Do you want to go to – I remember how hard, you know what I mean, working at eight, nine years old. Like there's eight or nine years, ten years of work uh, that precedes that overnight success because it's real easy to say that's what i want but are you willing to do you know what 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 somebody like yourself has done or like lane has done and about your kids that's what i want to get into next how because uh, i i don't i don't really think it's there's like a difference I you know because i think there there is but there isn't in, in my opinion you know what i mean i just like we're all we all breathe the same oxygen but when you have individuals that grow up a little more fortunate compared to some that don't sometimes maybe you'll see the, the fortunate kids maybe they'll they'll almost like piss away that that opportunity of acceleration. Your kids, they they all, for the most part, educated. They sound successful from what I've read and hear in the book, from what I i mean, lame beyond. He's, a, he's the one I'm most familiar with. I follow him on Instagram. So I see all of his stuff. I've seen him. I've watched him live, play football, the bowl game, and everything like that. What, what little coaching things have you done do you think that have separated you from other parents? Really regardless, but I think also specifically too
0: being – fortunate to like to being successful you know what i mean sure so the thing i'm the most proud of in my life is my five kids um so kelsey the oldest you know played basketball for the Razorbacks. she had 65 division one scholarships hayley larkin the twins one, Haley was a, a two-time All-American, a three-time conference player of the year in soccer. She was the state's all-time leading soccer scorer. And then her twin sister, Larkin, was the state's all-time leading assist uh, player. She She's the one that passed it to Haley all the time. She started four years in college at Harding, um, you know, was a two-time all-conference player. And then Maddie Lane's younger sister um, Broke Haley's all-time scoring record in soccer. You know, started four years in soccer, four years in basketball. She plays basketball right now for Samford University. She's a freshman. And then Lane won eight state titles: four in wrestling, four in football. You know, um, was the state's all-time leading passer. Um, He's sixth in national history in yards and touchdowns for high school, and he's got seventy-five hundred passing yards in college right now. If he can have a last good couple of years he can move in the top ten or fifteen college quarterbacks ever to play on yards and touchdowns. So what was the key there? Just like you have a burning desire to do well in business, my dad was a great dad, but he was a he was a college professor and, and college president. He didn't know the sports. And my best friend growing up, his dad was a college coach and he knew everything about sports. And you know how you talk he'd be talking to his kid about the sports and I'd be standing right next to him. But I was listening way more than he was because I wanted, I wanted that. And um, some success is an accident and sometimes it's really well planned. I would say the, the success I've had with my kids was a little bit of both. So, and one piece of unfortunate uh, business. So let me explain that perfect concoction, which is the perfect concoction you have right now in business. Number one, I always wanted to be better in sports, but there was nothing wrong with my body. It was really more about skill and getting um, the attention early on. And I'm totally convinced that none of my kids are freak athletes, but they're all just highly skilled, highly trained, highly motivated and, and highly hardworking individuals. And you can develop that in a kid by just being with them, by putting in the time with them and starting them early. So from the time my kids were five, they were playing all those sports. We were doing drills in the backyard. We eventually built Bluebird Fields so that the drills were literally in our backyard, not just for them, but for everyone else. Um, but, But my first three kids are from my first marriage. So when I got divorced, I wanted to see them every day. And so one of the ways I could see them every day was to coach their sports. So, you know, let's say I got to see them on Wednesdays and every other weekend. Well, by gosh, we were practicing on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and we were playing games every weekend. So I got to see them all the time. And so I took off work at 3.30 every day and I went and coached all their sports teams I coached all five of my kids in every sport they played until they got to high school when they went to the high school coach and then I was there at all their games and I was helping them you know afterwards I think they're successful cuz of the hard work because I was there and because you know we gave them those opportunities I don't think they're faster than anybody else or can jump higher they're just so skilled and then I have one other little secret that parent, people parents ask all the time, and I tell them. And it's like the secret to sales. You can tell somebody the answer. It doesn't mean they'll do it, okay? But for me, it was, let's say you're a soccer player, and you're five years old, and you start playing soccer. A lot of people say they don't want to burn them out. Well, we would play soccer during the soccer season, but when soccer season was over, I would have one practice a week year round for soccer. So if they're playing basketball once a week, we're, we're going to do some soccer drills for an hour. Well, over time, that really, really adds up because everybody else quits at the end of the season and they put it off. If, if it was in basketball season, we'd play basketball. But when it was soccer season, they'd go to soccer practice and they'd have one basketball practice a week. Skills and drills, things that made him better. So even when Lane was playing high school football, he went to one wrestling lesson a week with with Pat. And he went to one baseball lesson a week while he was playing football and vice versa. So the key is consistency. My dad used to say it's a cinch by the inch, and I would always tell the kids if you add it all up and you just keep putting that once a week in when everybody else isn't, by the time you're 18 it's not even close. You know, if if you go to practice and then you do an extra little workout or or read another little book every week, and the other guys not, it's not even close. So they got it done by sheer hard work. Um, and uh, I, where when I if if I take any credits that I I was resilient, I was there. I didn't get tired. I didn't miss the practices. I didn't miss the games. And I still don't. I I am a pilot today, and I fly to every one of their college games, and uh, I don't miss. And I became a pilot about, oh, 10 years ago when three of my kids were playing college sports at three different colleges. That's when I said I've got to do it so that I was ready so that I could go to all those games. Did you get your own plane or do you charter? I have my own plane. Um, I started off, I chartered one or two before they were really there. Then I realized I liked it. I bought a plane and then I had a pilot for a while and then I learned how to fly. He was starting to, his kids were like two or three years old and he was starting to not be able to go as much. And I started realizing I've got to be able to go at the drop of the hat, you know? So I may fly four times a week, you know? And you fly yourself wherever you need to go, like for business meetings and too. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's that's been a real, um, you know, I don't fly for fun, fun. it's um, about just getting there, saving time. So last night I flew to to, uh, North Carolina, I'm always home in my bed at night, Um, and it's a real weapon, because at the end of the day, it all gets down to you've got eight hours in the day to work, or 12, or whatever you want to do. I got the same. If yeah, yeah. That's just a time machine to me. Yeah. Now, the name of the podcast is
1: Adversity Kings, and I got it from my fascination of individuals being able to overcome adversity. And so for your children and yourself to show up to a practice once a week and consistently year in and year out, where do you think... You know, obviously, it's the the highly motivated. But again, it's like the bath. Where did they get that? You think is it a combination of you leading from the front when like life is hitting you, and you guys? Maybe it's you know you know um, issues you know at home, somebody passed away, or you know where did they get the, the that that grit to keep fighting through that pain? Obviously, I can see with Lane with with the wrestling. That's all it is. You just got to fight through that pain. You know what I mean? But like through life. As they are coming up and where they're at now, was it just a combination of them seeing you do it, or like how are you teaching and duplicating that into your into your kids, and if not, other people?
0: So I may not know the answer to that exactly, but here's my theory. So adversity kings, you had one kind of adversity, okay, and that was not growing up with a ton, you know, having you know a fractured relationship with the parents at times. My kids grew up with a different kind of adversity. And John Smith, who's the head wrestling coach at Oklahoma State, told me once, he said, Greg, the most impressive thing about your kids is that they have hunger and desire when they come from an affluent family. He said that's the hardest thing to do. And what I used to always tell my kids, first of all, kids, kids may know if they're they they know if the, if it's hard to have something to eat on the table or if or if the light bill's not paid they don't really care at 8 or 10 years old whether their parents have a lot of money or a little money just if they can provide those things but one of the things i always told them is that i loved about sports is that you can't buy success there is there's is no amount of money that can make jerry jones you know Kid and NFL player. He's got to earn it, right? And if it was, people would be buying their Olympic spots or they'd be buying their NFL quarterback spots. So what I love about sports is rich, poor, or in the middle, you're gonna earn it. Now I can I can help them, give them more opportunities. If you remember, I thought we flew you on a plane when we to, to a wrestling tournament. I just yeah, I just wasn't the pilot at the time, but I learned between that time, but the, the point is we, we gave some opportunities to be able to take you guys better places. But in the end of the day, I can't go out. He has to go out there and win it. And so that's what I love with the sports. The other thing I would tell any parent is parents, you'll hear some parents, even really successful athletes, parents say this, well, I don't want to burn them out. I'm going to let them choose their sport. By the time you let them choose, it's too late in most situations. Now, let's say you they choose football. Football does not require skill like tennis or golf or a baseball pitcher at any position other than kicker and quarterback. The rest of them are just athletes who can run fast, hit hard, you know, that kind of thing. But you can't wait till you're 12 and say, well, they decided they want to play tennis. They're never going to make, you know, the pro tennis tour because there's somebody that's been playing from five to twelve. And you're almost fully developed on your skill set by the time you're 14. So I just got them, I had to decide something. I decided soccer and basketball for the girls. I decided wrestling, football and baseball for Lane. I could have just as easily put them in swimming or bowling at five. Um, But if I had waited till they made up their mind, it would have been too late. And it just so happened that if you give them a good opportunity, give them good coaching and They're going to probably like it. And people like things they're good at. I don't know very many people that are absolutely great at something and say, I hate it. I'm the best tennis player in the world and I hate tennis, you know. So I just put them in things and tried to keep them busy. They did gravitate maybe to one sport a little bit more than the other. But my deal was, I don't want you to work when you're a kid. Like a lot of people want them to get a job when they're 14. I'm like, guys, you have one chance to play sports. And I want you to play them now, and I want you to play one every season. And as long as you do that, I'll take care of everything else. So that would be the opportunity I gave them. None of my kids ever quit their sport, went to work at Kentucky Fried you Chicken or McDonald's.
1: Like give them a good coaching <laughs> on like not to quit. Was there? Keep pushing, don't quit.
0: Uh, with with Lane, never okay. Boys are easier than girls. Okay, uh, with the girls. Um, there were a couple times, uh, maybe in, in running, uh, running was a hard one. Cause I forgot to tell you, my girls ran cross country and track and they were really, really good. Like probably their most natural sport. So I just said somebody that's really wins at everything may not, they never say they hate it. Well, Kelsey and Haley both won every race they ran from, say, sixth grade to ninth grade. But when they got beat for the first time after a string of, say, 70 victories, they were darn near about ready to throw in the towel. It's kind of like if you get if it comes easy too early and and you are good at it, then when you lose, you feel like you're a failure. It's almost better to. To lose, lose, lose for a while, and right at the end, get the wins. But running's hard. You know, it's painful. You know, Um, Lane would tell you that in the end, he's so glad he wrestled, but he probably wouldn't want to wrestle in college because it's a painful, you know, cutting weight, tough sport, you know, compared to being the quarterback in football. But – but some people are masochists. I'm a masochist. I love running road races and being about ready to throw up and knowing I ran through the Is that what that's wall. called? I love so that feeling. Kid, yeah, yeah. But my kids, uh, my kids had that toughness, but, you know, they probably didn't want to do it forever. And then sometimes you're on a bad team or a culture team or bad people on the team. Um, or they, they they think they want to concentrate on one sport and I tried to convince them, hey, stay in there, okay, and finish this, you'll, you'll never regret it one of my daughters, Maddie uh, became she was really good at basketball and soccer, but she was also a world class horse rider, so she went to the Olympics for the Youth Olympics when she was a junior in high school and she she took a She took fourth in one event and won the gold in the other. And when she came back, she said, I don't want to play sports in college. I want to ride horses. And I I tried to tell her, you need to play sports while you're in college. It's the only chance you'll get. You can ride those horses the rest of your life. But she wanted to be an Olympian in the horses. So she went to college her freshman year at Samford University in Birmingham because there was an Olympic gold medalist there that was going to train her, and she trained on her horses. But when you're a horse rider, it's a very lonely, nomadic life. So you get in the horse uh, trailer and your truck, and you drive to all these horse shows, and you're, a, you're the only one there. There's no teammates, and you're competing against older people from all over. And She did that for a year, and after all my begging to try to get her to play soccer basketball, and she didn't do it, she came home in May and just walked in the house and said, I'm playing college basketball next year. We got to start working all summer. She said, after experiencing that for a year, she realized I don't want to be a professional horse rider because I'd be gone from my family all the time. I would never be around to raise my kids. Let's go ahead and play the basketball for the four years. And then afterwards, I'll ride the horses here and there for the rest of my life. So I almost, you know, when I stopped telling her, she figured it out on her own after a year. Uh, but we went you know, we went to her horse shows and glad she rides the horses too. But she made it a lot harder on herself because all of me so go ahead. Yeah,
1: I can hear you. So I got in here from my notes. I had coach Marley Frazier at Albion College. Are you still connected with him?
0: Well, I was, but he passed away. And, my uh,
1: condolences.
0: Yeah, it was. It's been quite a while. I was a pallbearer at his funeral, and his son is my best friend, and that's the coach that um, I always listened to. Um, and you know, while he was talking to his son and me, I was really listening hard. Yes, sir. So,
1: who who do you think for for your life has been? I mean, you know, even at the current moment, who's like your your mentor or some individuals that? you really respect and look to specifically for knowledge. I I really like Nick Saban and, and my, my, my mentor and partner, Simon Arias, but is, is there, is there individuals for you that you really like to tap into and try to connect with and,
0: and learn from? So when I was growing up, you know, I was lucky that I had a father who was uh, grounded, extremely intelligent. He was the opposite in that he Never told me to achieve certain things. He just said you can do anything that you think you can do, and and he never had expectations. Like there was no way to let him down because he didn't he didn't really have that. He was just kind of there. My my father was an only child. He didn't have brothers and sisters. You know, he would go to my events, but he was never like, man, you need to get three more hits or you need to win this match. Or he was just kind of there. Um, you know, and he was proud of me. My coaches, you know, certainly were people that I looked up to. But as I got older, I developed this weird thing. And you'll read about it in my other book. And it was called The Wall of Fame. And I had this by the time I was in college, I had it over my bed. And it had seven individuals or eight individuals that I liked part of their traits. There was something that put them on that wall. And the first one was Pete Rose because when he played baseball, he gave 100%. Even though he got in trouble for gambling, there was no player that loved the game more. There was no player that loved the game more or or tried harder than Pete Rose. A lot of these athletes are guys that are too old for you to know who they are, but you can kind of look them up. Um, The next one was Brian Piccolo. And if you haven't watched the movie Brian's Song – you know Brian Piccolo died uh, at age 26, and he was a professional football player, but he was an overachieving, hardworking guy, and he's up there, and every time I'd look at him, I'd say, I want to get my money's worth by the time I'm 26. Anything after 26 is a bonus, and uh, he made me an overachiever. Um, Roger Staubach, the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, was – the kind of guy who was a competitor, a winner, but he was a straight arrow, a Christian guy who negotiated his own contract, didn't have an agent, was only married to one woman, did all the right things. Morley Frazier was on that wall because Morley got offered the head coaching job over Bo Schimbeckler uh, at the University of Miami of Ohio. He turned it down, Bo Schimbeckler got it, and then Bo became the head coach at Michigan Um Morley turned down those jobs because he said, no job is worth me being away from my kids. He had three boys. They were all high school quarterbacks. He had three girls. They were all athletes of the year. Those three girls married uh, coaches. His boys became coaches. He was just uh, a legend. Um, Landry, who was the coach of the Dallas Cowboys, always did it in a Christian manner. He didn't cuss his players out. He did all the right things. My father was up there and under his picture it said honesty is the best policy because my dad was always, you know, honest. And then Rocky uh, was up there and under his it said "Uh, never say die, Um, you know, because he just would never quit. And then the last one was Jesus. And under his it said you have to pay the price for success because he paid the ultimate price. So I would put – so when you say my mentor's – it was that. And I take a piece of all that and put it together. And and that's what you really want to do is try to take pieces. It sounds like you have from people that you've observed and, and make yourself better. If you do that, you won't have any mentor to look up to because you'll be a better than all of them. Amen, man. Well, as we wrap up,
1: I wanted to ask if I can, you don't have to share. I wanted to ask, what's your, what's your best year in business for maybe gross sales and, and gross, gross profit. I feel like that's, that's
0: pretty, pretty safe. Gross, like a, a gross number. Yeah. Um, you know, I, in, in um, Arkansas business, always ask for those numbers, you know, like yeah. the biggest insurance agencies, I never turned mine in, Yeah. but I, I will, I will say this, you know, There's a thing called EBITDA, which is your net profit, you know, and, um, we've, we've done as, as much as 15 million. Um, if you take, if you take, you know, total sales, um, I mean, it, it'd be, I I don't really keep track of it that way. So it'd be about, 300, 400 million. Um, so I guess the best thing we like to say is we're the largest organically grown benefits insurance agency in the United States. And that we is. did, it, we did it out of Little Rock, Arkansas, but numbers really was never my goal. Um, yeah. It was, um, I, it, you know, it was really just getting up and, and competing and doing the best job you could. And one day it, It turned out to be, you know, pretty successful. Now I really work um, to protect my friends and family that work in the insurance agency, and I probably will never retire.
1: Do you still do 7 a.m. meetings? The book said you were doing 7 a.m. meetings.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So when I I started the agency, I did it five days a week at 7 a.m. I was a maniac. I was 28. And all my employees were younger than that. So they weren't married. They didn't have kids. They didn't have those things. As time progressed, those meetings had to go back to 8 o'clock. And then they had to go back to 8.15 and then 8.30 because the moms were dropping their kids off and uh, to school. We used to try to start them at 8 and I'd get frustrated because somebody would come in 15 minutes later, 10 minutes, and we'd have to wait for everybody. Now we've gotten so soft that our meetings are Monday at two o'clock and I do it like come in get your stuff done Monday and then I'll, I'll do it Monday at two. In the beginning, we did them daily. Now we're down to once a week and they're kind of ongoing training sessions going over all the things good or bad that people can learn, you know, during the week.
1: Love it. Well, I don't, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I think this is so, so there's so much value in there that you know, I could go on and on and on and on. And uh, I've just, I've learned so much. The book I gave to, I, I got five, I could only find five or six copies. So it's it's like sold out. Um, but I, I got enough for some of our yeah. core leaders.
0: And I'll send you however many copies you want. So just send me an email and then I'll send you that uh, between the ears. You know, when we were doing this podcast, yes. I didn't know it was you. Somebody else, it seemed like just contacted and said, would you do this? And then I think I had a mix up on the time the first time, but when I saw you, I did, you look, when you said Tristan, I looked at, I said, that looks like uh, Tristan Nelson. So um, probably the best part of doing the podcast um, is seeing how successful you've turned out. So congratulations.
1: Thank you very much, sir. Thank you for the seeds you planted in me and uh, just the inspiration that you are to so many people. Would love to – I just had a, a D1 kid on from – from Ohio, you said Miami of Ohio. I just had a wide receiver on from there. So I don't know if I, – I know there's different things with NCAA, but if Lane Lane would uh, would consider getting on, that would be really cool. would love to see his side and his perspective,
0: really any of your kids with, with their success. So, um, Lane, again, thank you. Lane would help you out. He'd probably be good. It would probably be nice for him to see how well you've done. His um, – I'll text you his uh, number perfect. So, and I'll include his number and you can set him up sometime
1: perfect well thank you Coach Hatcher uh, okay. maybe one day I'll come back down for uh, wrestling camp I, I've I to jiu-jitsu I, I tore my meniscus last year so I got to jiu-jitsu I'm about yeah. three years in I don't know if you know anybody that does that
0: yeah I do you can get these wrestlers and put them in submission holds
1: yes I, I love it so much I love it so much well have a blessed day Thank you so much, Mr. Hatcher. Uh again, thank you.
0: I think that's how you're selling all that life insurance. You go in there and you jujits them and put them in a submission until they buy. I've gotten pretty yeah, we 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 had a part of my culture.
1: I don't know, I, I don't know if I could really put it out there, but we had some mats. I had mats in my office. I opened up my first office in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I have mats in our office. We have waivers and certain things like that, but that's how I tore my meniscus. I taught a, I taught leg locks to people, and you're not really supposed to do that in your first few years, and I I have one of the bigger guys that I hired uh, ripped my meniscus in half. It was a bucket handle tear, and I went a whole year. I tried stem cells, and it didn't work. I just did a menis- – minute. Uh, they removed 70% of the meniscus.
0: Yeah. Sorry to hear that, but glad you got it fixed. All good. I'm getting back on the mat soon. All right. See you, buddy. All right, Coach. See you. All right.